everybody. Welcome back to the Home Class Movie Chat, where we talk about all things movies. Yes, we do. It's your host, Married Couple Cat. And Paul. And we're really glad that you're here. So what are we doing this week? Well, we're following on from the one we did last week. Last week, we did The Shining. So this week, we are following on with the 2019 sequel, Doctor Sleep. And this was a movie that... I know, and this was a movie that I tried to stay so far away from because I'm a purist at heart. I don't like people trying to recapture lightning in the bottle or trying to do something that is just not going to work. But after watching all the trailers and thinking to myself, you know what, I might give this a go. I'm glad I did. Because this movie, yeah, because this movie is a a standalone movie, it could stand on its own by itself. Um, the storyline's great, the plot's really great. Not there's not one chance that you're going to sit there and grab your phone and look at it and go, Can I please have this? You know, can we get this movie over and done with? It's a movie that will just keep you not on the edge of your seat, but it will just keep you so well entertained. It keeps you engaged, it really does. Well, and, and that's the thing is, I was a little worried that. Because The Shining wrapped up so well. Yeah. And I was, I was really concerned with the, how, where they were going to try and take the story. Although myself, apparently, along with a ton of other people, um, one, you know, and, and apparently people kept asking Stephen King, um, you know, so what happened to Danny Torrance after he and his mom left the Overlook? And he'd always joke that he married the girl from Firestarter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. But then he really got thinking about it. And when the uh, director, excuse me, um, came to him and said, I really want, then Mike Flanagan came to him and said, um, I, you know, after he'd written the book and everything else, he said, yeah. I'd really like to explore this, especially with the um, themes of recovery. And that's kind of what won him the job is Stephen King liked that he wanted to explore how recovery can affect your life and improve it and, you know, this and that. Yeah. And uh, apparently Mike Flanagan came into this project and said, okay, so I feel like my job is to, because, and they had to fight to get it made because Stephen King really didn't like the original Stanley Kubrick film. It's only because Stanley Kubrick went so far left of center with that movie. Well, and, and, you know, and he liked the miniseries better, but the problem is that most people know the Stanley Kubrick movie, not the miniseries yeah i've i saw the miniseries i just couldn't get it i just and, couldn't get into and it and it's like you just said you're a purist you love the movie yeah the, i am the stanley kubrick movie 1980 movie and so flanagan came at it and he said okay so what i really and then you have the people who love the book yeah right the book's amazing and he, and he said so what i really want to do you actually read it yes i did you read I read from cover <laughs> to cover. I know that's a hard concept of me right, reading a book, but yeah, it was something that really grabbed a hold of me because I, I was reading that one and I finished that and I went straight on to the Amityville Horror of Jay Anson. Yeah. Uh, so I read those two back to back. So, you know, so he's like, okay, so I want to make the purists who love the movie happy, but I also want to keep the purists who love the book happy. Yeah. And so when the film came out, um, the people who saw who loved The Shining, the film, loved it. The people who loved the book loved it. And so did Stephen King. Yeah, that's actually so very, very Michael, good. Mike Flanagan 
pulled off the impossible. Yeah, well, because because King always said that because he, I mean, he wrote he wrote the book. He said that just Stanley Kubrick just pulled it apart and pulled out things that didn't need to be pulled out. There was you know, there were certain parts of the movie that really really needed to be a little bit more expanded on, and he wouldn't do that. And I think when Stephen King saw the final cut, he's like, I just don't like this. I mean, years to cut years later. You know, he and Kubrick have got like a, a simmering agreement that whenever he's he's asked about the the Shining, he says, um, "Yeah, it's a good movie." That's as far as he'll go. Yeah, yeah. He will not give it any glowing comments or glowing recommendations. It's always, "It's a good movie," but that is it. Because yeah. if you really said to Stephen King, "I'm going to remove any possibility that you're going to get sued or any libel, whatever it is," what did you think about the movie The Shining? He'd probably Sit there okay. for an hour and a half, ripping it apart. Okay. Now we already covered that last week. So let's yes. not go any farther down that rabbit hole. Um, so before you saw Dr. Sleep, what did you think it was going to be like? Um, it was really, really hard. To, it's really hard to explain what I thought it was going to be. I saw Ewan McGregor. And as much as I love him as Obi-Wan, I love, much as I love him in other movies. I just didn't think he'd be able to pull this off. Um, and also the fact is that they were trying to, they were doing something that just didn't seem to fit in with the original, um, shining. But as I said, when I sat down and I actually saw the trailer and I saw Ewan McGregor and I could see that he was actually really, um, coming into his own as an actor and really, I thought he was actually going to be pretty good with it. And that they were trying to follow some sort of, you know, follow on from the shining. I gave it a go, but I was, I didn't have very, I didn't have high hopes for this movie. I really didn't. I thought this yeah. movie was going to really disappoint me. And I was going to sit there and go, wow, two hours of my life. I can't ever get back again, but I'm glad I watched it. And I'm glad I, and I, you know, I not only watched it, but I just, I went out and bought it just to mm -hmm. make sure that I've got it. You know, yeah, it's not a movie that I'll revisit, you know, every year. But every now and again, I'll put it on, but it, it wouldn't be a, a yearly thing. You know, it might be every couple of years I might yeah, see but, it. You but know. I have to admit, I enjoyed watching rewatching The Shining um, last week. Well, that being said, I mean, we've got the original and we've this got, this week. yeah, we, I mean, we've got the original plus we've also got the extended version of The Shining. And I think the extended version of The Shining gave you a more bit of an idea of what the, re the relationship was between Wendy and Jack yeah. and how bad their relationships were. So this movie... When you see that once, and we'll get into it, when you know you start to see that Denny and Wendy are basically together as a unit and what they're trying to overcome, you can see that it really yeah. does work. Now, 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 I do have a nice piece of fun fact trivia for you. Go ahead. This, the movie The Shining, yeah, was the first movie that you and I ever went to see together in the theater. Was it? Yeah. Oh my God, because we, that's right, because it was the extended version and mm -hmm. you'd never and, seen the extended. And, and you love this movie and you asked me to go, I and mean, we had just started dating. Yes. And you wanted me to go see it with you. And I said, I don't like horror movies. And you went, oh, you have to see it. I know. I mean, it's, it's, you need, you need a horror person with you. That's why, why I do the other horror, horror movie podcast, the horror crypt, because I've got a, I've got a community of people that just love and adore horror movies. Yeah. But this being said, this is more a thriller. This is not it, really, it really a horror is. movie. It really, and I didn't, and I didn't know that. So I took it on faith and I trusted you Yeah. and went to see it and fell in love with it. Yeah. Because the shining in, in its essence is not considered to be a horror movie. I mean, they say it's a horror movie, but in, in essence, The Shining is not horrifying. Right. It's but, a psychological thriller. Yeah. 
And I mean, this it is movie, horrifying in some ways, like the insanity trying to kill your family with an axe. That's oh, a bit horrifying. Yeah. But and the whole even, thing with Dick Halloran in the lobby. But like I said, we did that last week. Yeah, so. but even this movie, there were some uh, rather you know, gory scenes and rather unsettling scenes. But this is more of a thriller than what it is oh, a horror I, movie. And, and I have to admit, I love this movie. Yeah. And I adore Ewan McGregor. Yeah, and he is a good actor. Unlike you, I actually thought he had the chops and the depth to pull this off. Yeah, see, I was too much of watching him as I think. I think that was my problem. I think I saw him more as Obi Wan, and I'm like, I don't think this could work. Yeah, but, but seeing him yeah. in this movie, I'm like, he definitely is the one, and he's he's the he's definitely the the Denny Torrance. You know, he really is. Yeah. So before we get started, we should certainly listen to the trailer of Dr. Sleep. Mm -hmm. So in saying that, I want everyone to sit back and relax because here comes the trailer of Dr. Sleep. Okay, so that actually, that trailer is, it gives you a certainly a, a, a huge overview of what the movie is going to be like. And thank God it doesn't spoil everything. There are trailers that you'll see and go, huh? Do I need to see the movie now? You just I know, told I everything. That when you're when you're like, I what's left to tell me? Yeah, there's nothing that. out. There are some there are some trailers that I've watched and gone, oh my god, there's, there's some the movie. that do that, and then there are some that are just like a two minute snip from what's seen, and and it doesn't give you an idea of the movie, and it's like, seriously. Well, look, I mean, I'm I'm sorry to hark back to the original Shining, <laughs> but if but if you see the very first original trailer of the Shining, it's the elevator with blood coming out of it yeah and the word the shining comes over it the blood goes over the screen and that's the end of the trailer and you're like so what's it about yeah but if you see the updated version of the the extended version of the movie you'll actually see that there's actually a cohesive trailer so yeah. this this trailer that we've just listened to is actually cohesive you understand what's going on without the trailer telling you oh this is what happens this is the middle this is the end don't yeah. come and see the movie yeah, yeah so i'm actually glad about that but the movie okay. opens so this movie opens up where we see um once again we see that the the um we which way would we say it it basically metamorphosizes into the actual carpet of the overlook hotel oh yes what? sorry but did yes. you know that mike flanagan the director mm -hmm. actually painstakingly recreated the sets from the Overlook Hotel that were brought from blueprints that he acquired from Stanley Kubrick's estate. That's awesome because in this opening scene, I actually watched the right hand side mm -hmm. to see if they still they had the original uh, banister that was coming up from from the um, from the the Colorado Lounge. Yep. where Jack was typing away his manuscript. Yep. And I wanted to see, as Denny was coming around the corner, where they, they actually had the banister pretty much on, on par. And it is. It's the actual... So all actually, the cigarette machines and everything else. Everything is, is painstakingly yeah. done. So this is really, really well done. Mike Flanagan, I have to say, did a beautiful, beautiful job yeah. on this film. I mean, he put so much love and care into the research and everything. Yeah. And, and I honestly thought it was exceptionally well casted as well. You know, and we'll get to it in a moment, but you know, the, the woman who played, uh, let me Wendy, just, just go back over. Yeah. For the played Wendy, uh, Wendy, um, 
Sorry, I don't have the. See, this is for me. This is the whole thing that I got. This is why I'm a purist because if you're going to watch this movie, you're going to see someone that is cast as Wendy. You're going to see a little boy that's cast as Denny. You're going to see a little. You're going to see a person that's cast as Jack, and you're going to see a person that's cast as Scatman Carruthers. You're not yeah. going to see the original actors. Now, if you are worried about that, if you if this is going to be something that you can't get over then don't see Dr. Sleep because you're going to see these people that are recreating an iconic On movie character. Yeah. And an so, iconic character. Yeah. So Alex Esso, shout out to Alex Esso was Wendy Torrance yep. because, and not only did they find an actress that looked an awful lot like Shelley Duvall, yeah. but she captured that voice. That was the one that really surprised that, me. I thought that they were doing like voice dubbing they were making it sound like the they were yeah. making it sound like um Shelley Duval, but yeah. it's not. It's actually her it's voice. Her. <gasps> Danny, Danny, where are you? Danny. And it's like and, oh well. And, no. and, and and her physical mannerisms were just a little off. Like she didn't have that kind of like arm wavy yeah. the frog type. But that's thing the only on. thing that was off on her. But she looked and sounded so like her. Yeah. Now, um, Denny Torrance, you're going to see that it's a little boy that, you know, he doesn't have the charisma that the original Denny Lloyd had. Yeah. Scatman Carruthers um, being... Well, hold, hold on. Yeah. So the, the, the one who played the young Danny, uh, Roger Dale Floyd, I thought he did a beautiful job. I thought, thought he looked an awful lot like the original Danny. But there is actually one goof with that, which is that the young Danny had brown eyes and Ewan McGregor has uh, blue. Blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't really say that I was really taken by the young Denny because he does he didn't have the screen presence as the little Denny Lloyd did. No, but I liked him. But the 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 one that was the far and away love for me was Carl Lumley's portrayal of Dick Halloran. Yes, that was gonna say that was really good. He was he awesome. got the Scatman Carruthers voice perfect. Yeah, he did. And the the I, worst I, one was the guy that was cast as Jack Nicholson. Yes. He was nowhere near. Now, he now, didn't get the voice, didn't get anything. He was not the well, And he was only in the, in the scene. He was only in this movie so for you about. So bartender. Yeah, that was supposed to be Lloyd, yeah. but it ended up being the uh, Jack. But the fact is that he didn't have this. You know, when you see him running through the, the hallway yeah. with the axe going, Danny boy. Yeah. He didn't have it. Yeah. So can I, can I get this? Yes, you can. Edgewise? Go ahead. Um, so the one who played the bartender, I am actually jaw dropped to the desk because I didn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. Henry Thomas, otherwise known as Elliot from E.T. I'm oh. sorry. I'm sorry. That guy that was supposed to, the, okay. The one that was sitting in front of you and bartender that was sitting in front of, was standing in front of you and McGregor. Yep. I'm you telling me that is, that is, that was Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. Otherwise, no. known as Elliot from ET. When no, 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 yes. no. Are you, yeah. are you, are you seriously? Seriously. He looked nothing like him. I know. No. Yes, it is. That is the biggest surprise on the face of this planet. Yeah. If that is Henry Thomas, he yeah. looked nothing like Henry it's Thomas. Henry Thomas. Yeah, I'll, you, show it to, I'll show it to you when we're done. Did he have a stroke or something? He didn't look anything like him. Hattie, it's called makeup and acting. I hope so, because God. That was that yeah. was probably the best makeup I've ever seen because he just looked nothing like him. But yeah, I'll show it to you when we're Okay, done. fair enough. 
All right, so we've got this scene where you know we are following Denny riding his little three wheeler big wheels through the um, through the hotel, trying to basically reprising the scene of him taking his trip around the first floor of the hotel. And when he saw the girls, the twins. Uh, no, this is before that. This is before this is the opening scene where no, he's I riding. Thought, I his... thought in this opening scene he saw the nope. twins. Nope. Nope. The opening scene is him. We're following him through the the bottom part of the um, hotel. He fly, He rides up around the top of the part of the hotel, and he comes across room two three seven on the left hand side, and he stops and he looks at room two three seven. He doesn't get off the three wheeler. He just looks and the big door, wheel. the big wheels, and the door opens up, and as the door, when the door opens up. You see in shadow the witch, which is the old woman in the bathtub, coming towards him. He then, within transition, and we are in Florida, 1981, where we're following a little girl by the name of Violet Hansen, and she's on a camping trip with her family. And one afternoon, she wanders into the woods, basically, because she's going to go and pick some flowers, and she finds a woman sitting alone at the lake. The woman at the lake introduces herself as Rose the Hat. Now, I thought Rebecca Ferguson was Australian, but she's not. She's actually Irish. So when you hear her Irish accent, she's Irish. But she is absolutely amazing. And to make sure that anyone doesn't think I'm cheating on my wife, she is absolutely stunning. But she, yeah, she is beautiful. She is. She, she really is a really gorgeous woman. She charms Violet with a magic trick. She basically, she, she's holding a, a flower and she says to Violet, would you like the flower? And so she goes over and Violet, you know, gets a hold of the flower and she hears uh, some noise at the back of her, uh, on the side of her. And Violet looks over and there's just this man standing there. And she goes, oh, don't worry about that, that person. That's just my friend. Would you like to see, see a magic trick? And she takes off her hat and she says, there's nothing in my hat. And then she says, now reach in and pull something out. And as she pulls it out, it's a lovely little purple flower. And, she, and Violet goes, oh, that's magic. And then suddenly... We hear some more noises, and now there are five other people that have joined that person standing there. Now, before you continue, yes. okay. I just I just want to insert a quick fun fact. Okay. That this scene of Rose the Hat exchanging flowers with the little girl, whose name we learn is Violet, by a riverbank is an homage to that iconic scene in Frankenstein where the little girl gives flowers to the monster sitting down by the river. Would you be absolutely amazed that I could say to you that I've never seen Frankenstein? <gasps> Yep. How do you call yourself a horror fan and you haven't seen the classic Universal monster movies? I've only ever seen Nosferatu. I've never seen Frankenstein. Frankenstein's never in Dracula. Or I've the seen Dracula. No, no, no. I've seen Dracula. I've not seen the Mummy the or Frankenstein. The original Universal one. Bella Lugosi. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I've seen the original Nosferatu, the silent film one. Yeah. But I've never seen Frankenstein, and I've never oh. seen the Mummy because those don't interest me. Frankenstein is a, one of the ultimate mm. classics, and it is a beautiful film. Yeah, no, it's never introduced. In, well, too bad you're going to watch it anyway. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. You have to. Yeah, okay. You have to watch that, and you promised me to watch West Side Story with me. That is completely irrelevant to this conversation. It doesn't matter how often <laughs> we go off the rails. So anyway, um, Rose says, because you know Violet is now seeing other people standing there and she's and of course rose is like um don't worry about them you're missing the trick and violet then uh, uh, rose then upends her hat and there's all these purple flowers come up and she basically says to her that violet has a little bit of magic in her and she says reach into my hat but don't tell me what it don't look in it what color is the flower and she puts her hand in the in the hat and she goes 
purple and she pulls it out into purple flower and that's when that she grabs a hold of violet's arm and violet's saying i want to go i need to go back now and he, she goes no 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 stay we can do some more magic tricks and it's at that stage that the other people in the woods converge on violet then we then see a transition to elsewhere somewhere else we don't know Danny Torrance is still getting over the trauma from his ordeal on the Overlook Hotel. This is a young Danny Torrance. And he's basically um, being consoled by his mother, Wendy. And she's become concerned. Because since... he has not spoken since no. the events of the Overlook. No, exactly. And But he still has nightmares of the spirits from the hotel, such as the Grady twins and the bathtub lady from room 237. Um, and as part of his shine power, Danny sees the spirit of Dick Halloran and Dick Halloran is really awesome because he's able to explain to Denny that, um, you know, you've got this amazing ability. And when you walked into the, well, the hotel, well, you be yeah. before he has that conversation with Dick, um, he got, oh, he up, he, gets up, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, because he was sitting with his mom. Um, no, 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 this is before that. No, no, no. Hold, before, can I finish just once? Yes, you can. He was sitting with his mom. We find out that he still hasn't spoken. Oh, yes. Oh, no, 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 you're right. He got so, up out of so bed to go to the bathroom. He got out of bed because he had to go to the bathroom and he was just about to the bathroom and he sees the old lady in the tub and he gets this terrified look and he doesn't know what to do and he ends up peeing himself. He closed the door. Huh? He closed the bathroom door and he could see that she was walking towards the door. Yeah. And, and his mother comes out and, she's, and she gets him put into clean pajamas and she's like, I'm really worried about you because you haven't spoken since we left the hotel yeah and then later we see him sitting on a bench looking at the ocean um talking to dick halloran yeah and dick halloran basically says that you know when you walked into the overlook hotel you were like a a, a 40 watt globe you just lit up the place because you got such an like amazing a thousand, watt globe. a thousand watt globe you know you, yeah. you lit up the place and he said i but he said my grandmother showed me a trick and Dick shows him a, a box and he says, I want you to memorize the box. I want you to study the box and look at the box and see what's inside. Stick your nose in it, see if there's a smell. Yeah. And he said, because these things from the Overlook Hotel are coming for you. And if you train yourself, you can actually put these boxes into your mind. So when they arrive, you, you can, can then lock them in the box and seal them in and they won't, won't bother you. So I was like, oh, and I think that's a really, really great. It's a really great tr uh, trick that he shows that he can trap all this, all these bad spirits into the box. Um, and of course, Wendy runs out and Wendy's got the, she's got the, the voice down of, you know, Danny, Danny. And of course there's, there's absolutely nobody sitting next to him because only Danny can see um, Dick Halloran and he can only see what's going on. But as he said, you know, you can, you can smell the dead. You can smell these people. Um, so that night, Danny and Wendy are sitting watching TV together. What happens then? Then, what? Okay, so Danny, <laughs> are you paying attention? Danny and Wendy are, are sitting next to each other, and oh, Danny right. suddenly, Dan, Danny, you can see him smell something. something. Yeah, and then he gets up and he goes uh, to the hallway where the bathroom is, and he can see the old lady in the tub wanting to come after him again. And so he walks in and closes the door, so you know he's now put her in a box. Yeah, because you could hear her. You could see that there's a flash to the um overlook hotel uh maze the hedge maze yeah but you can see a box sitting in the snow the box unlocks and opens up and then you hear the scream of the old lady yeah and, and the then suddenly you the box. The, the box closes and locks yeah. so we go okay he's got her so this is you know 
Um, and he basically returns to his mother and she basically says, Doc, are you okay? And he goes, I'm okay, mum. So basically he's now started talking because Dick was the only one that could really get through to him to say, yeah. this is what you need to start doing, Doc. You need to start trapping these things because they're just going to keep coming after you. And with the with now you've got some sort of defense mechanism that can help you win against these yeah. these things. And 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 later, and we'll get to this in a moment. But later, when he is up in New Hampshire, uh, Dick Halloran comes back to him and he says, "You know, have you seen any of them?" And he's like, "Not for years." Yeah, he says the last one that I trapped was the guy that was had the glass with the cut down his middle of his face, saying, "Lovely party." That yeah. was the last one that he actually was able to trap. Yeah. So he said that guy. But we basically jumped from that scene. We jumped to 2011, where Dan lives in New Jersey and he's an alcoholic. He is a bad he alcoholic. He's in really bad shape. Yeah, he is yeah. really bad. Um, he gets into a violent bar fight where he knocks a man unconscious and later hooks up with a woman from the same bar. Of course, yeah. he wakes up in the morning and finds the woman's child. Um, yeah, it's like a, a yeah, year old is, baby. Yeah, this is really this is really bad. Danny wakes up, and um, we'll just say he he wakes up out of out of a, a drunken night's sleep with this woman. Yeah, she's the woman's laying there. Out, she's passed out. In yeah, the bed, which is gross. Which is gross. So but he, he gets goes, up, goes sorry. to take. He gets his wallet, realizes she's cleaned out all of his money. Um, he goes and he takes the money out of hers, and then sees the kid. Puts the kid on the bed with a little bag of Cheetos. But no, before that. Um, and Dick Halloran, Dick Halloran turns shows up. up and says, "You can leave her the money." Yeah, you well, could she actually took mine. Yeah, you could really leave her the money, Doc. It's like, yeah, but and he said, and he said to Dick, "Well, she probably bought the coke with my money anyway." Yeah. And then when we see the little boy come out, I mean, he's got a full diaper, and you know, Dan puts the the child in the bed with the mother who's passed out, um, with a little you know bag of something to eat, and then then just leaves, and it's like. Okay, yeah. I wonder if that's going to come back, which it does. But, well, it does. And it's really actually interesting because what happens is he, you know, sees um, the death flies. Yeah. Okay. And then and then a vision of her and the child. And she said, uh, we'll, get yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to you that. Yeah, we'll get to that. But interesting, the death flies are taken directly from the novel and explained later in the film. They may be symbolically linked to the flies that are released by John Coffey whenever he cures a person from disease in the Green Mile, which was another Stephen King book. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So that's a, actually a shout out to uh, the Green Mile. Oh. Yeah. So basically then we follow, we, we've transitioned from this scene into Long Island where we find a teenager named Andy and she meets an older man who found her on a website. Rose and her right-hand man, Crow Daddy, which is this guy that uh, Rose follows, is um, with, um, are watching from a distance. And Andy, basically, they're, they're just sitting there and Rose goes, okay, well, unless there's something really exciting that happens, why am I sitting here watching this? And he goes, no, 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 just just watch what she's going to do. So, you know, she's just, this girl, Andy, is just sitting there and this older man you know, sits next to her. And she says, he says, oh, you know, you're a lot younger than I thought. And he, she said, yeah, you're a lot older than I thought. And uh, so she puts her hand, her head on her shoulder, on his shoulder. Now we're kind of guessing that he's, she's there or he's there to hook up with her for sex. Yeah. And that's when she says, you know, um, she's able to manipulate others to do what she says. And basically she says to him, aren't you sleepy sleep? 
and she goes and he goes to sleep and he's she steals the money from her from his wallet and then basically cut gets a knife and cuts two holes in his cheek and she says you'll be able to tell your wife about the missing money because you were possibly robbed by someone but how are you going to explain these two snake like bites bite marks on your cheek and every time you see Every time every from now time on, you, every time you look in the mirror, you'll think of that time that you were bitten by a snake, and you will say out loud, "I like little girls." Yes, and that, and of course, this, and, and Rose just sits there and she is so impressed. So like, she, oh, now that is, yeah, that's that's a person we need. We haven't had a pusher for ages, and this is what she is. She's a pusher. So they, so she, they follow Andy outside, and of course, Crow basically says, "Excuse me, Miss," and she like looks at Crow and goes, um, "Yeah, you want to leave me alone?" And he just stops dead, you know. And then, of course, then Rose comes over and grabs a hold of Andy's arm. And she goes, well, hello there. And, and of course, this is when Andy goes, you want to let go of me? And she goes, oh, uh, I don't think no, so. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, you can't push me. Now, now, silly little fun fact for this yeah. part of the film. In the novel, when Andy's leaving the theater, it's showing Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was in 1981. Mm-hmm. But in the film, the theater is showing Casablanca, which is Mike Flanagan's favorite movie. That's right, because they were watching that, wasn't yeah. weren't they? Yeah. Well, that that's yep. a good idea. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's I a like pretty that good one. I like that one. That's actually really good. Yeah. Um, so they so Rose and the crow take her to their hideout where they where Rose tells Andy that she has special powers that work in the favor of their cult, which is called the True Nought. Rose Nix names her Snake Bite Andy, which I actually think is a really great name because of the two little puncture marks that he's got on his yeah. cheek. Um, and basically she says, you know, she wants to basically get her into the true nought into the into the cult and uh she basically says that she promises that they can eat well stay young and live long but they have to be able to eat well now eating well for them is not like you and i would eat a meal them they eat this shine off of people that have the shine ability so they is it basically like essence? They're basically eating their essence, aren't yeah, they? Yes, it's their life force. It's their life force that they're eating, which is yeah. really interesting because Stephen King did another movie, and I'm going to do it on my podcast, called um, Sleepwalkers. And sleepwalkers basically eat the essence out of people. It doesn't matter who they are. They, they eat the essence. So this is possibly an homage to Stephen King's um, book, Sleepwalkers, Yeah, in this movie. So we basically then transition to Anniston, New oh, Hampshire. Oh, actually, actually yeah? hang on. Before, before you yeah. go there. Okay. Um, I'm so in ta- New Hampshire. <laughs> so talking about, I lived in New Hampshire. I know. Um, so talking about True Not and yeah. the the live long part of it. Yep. Eat well. Notice, huh? Eat well and No, live... just the live long I'll part live long. of it. Oh, live long. Okay. God, I sometimes wish you'd listen. Um, so there... One, you know, talking about that, you'll you'll notice if you really look at their clothing, yeah, that they all look like they're from different eras. I, I think I noticed that. So, just their costumes were actually designed with the idea that they were that they picked up fashion from past centuries in which they lived. So that their their their, their clothing comes from um, the different era in which they were turned. So Grandpa Flick would being the oldest person, he was basically he had very old style clothing. Yeah. Rose had very hippie sort of clothing. Yeah. 
um, and, the crow had very and, and, and crow like his nouveau um, one. He had the, a, well, no, he actually like his gun is uh, like from the American Civil War. Like okay, right, almost like the Indiana Jones gun, like a six American shooter? Civil War. Oh, Civil War. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually trying trying to find the. Um, it's really hard to find that one. Yeah, give give me a second. I've got it here. Um, ah, Crow Daddy's pistol holder is a Union Army, meaning American Civil War 1860s. Oh, okay. It's a Union Army cavalry officer for a Colt Model 1860 revolver. This is a reference to in the novel when it's hinted that Crow Daddy was originally a tracker for the Army during the American Civil War back in the 1860s. Oh, gotcha. Because because when when um, and we'll get to it when one of the people are dying, um, she says you fed you fed on princes and watched civilization. That was um, the uh, grandfather Frick. Yeah, grandfather Frick. So we transition over to Anniston, New Hampshire, where we we introduced to this little girl by the name of Abra Stone, and she's celebrating her fifth birthday, and uh, they've got you know she's basically um, sitting on her dad's lap, and they're doing a, a magic show for her, and uh, the magician is basically just entertaining the kids and at one stage he he upends his hat and all this silverware comes out of his, out of his out of his hat and he ends up putting a spoon onto his nose and a spoon on either hand and abra says oh i can do that yeah, and, nice he, kid, thanks. and he goes oh thanks kid that's awesome but basically says you know does anyone know a magic word and the father is pointing at abra like you know ask her and she and he goes oh what what would have been she goes oh, abracadabra and he goes oh that's an awesome word so then we transition into we see that the father is walking into the um kitchen of, of their house and the mother is just standing there frozen and uh, you see that on on the uh, ground or the floor of the kitchen all the silverware has been thrown out of the out of the thing and i'm and they're both thinking okay what's going on here and dad's the, like oh great yeah until the mother is looking up and goes um look up and he looks up and all the spoons are on the ceiling and rotating slowly oh i and, missed that they were rotating yeah they're rotating slowly and this is when abra walks downstairs and simply says abracadabra and they look up at the thing and they basically get that scared look in their eyes and abra realizes that oh they're actually scared of what you're doing and she just looks down and stops and all the spoons then come down and hit the floor so it's like you can see that she's got an amazing ability um, that her mother and father, even though they are aware of what she can do, but they're they not. Try to they try to ignore know, it. Well, yeah, but they're trying to excuse it. Of, yeah. Eh. Now, did you know that in the novel, mm -hmm. an infant Abra predicts the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks? I did not know that one. Yep. That's a little bit too close to home. I don't think that they would have ever put that in the movie. I think that would have had to have been stayed in the book. I don't, yeah, that, that's something and, like. And you'll also notice that the address of Abra's house is 1980, the, the same year that The Shining was released. Yeah. I, re I remember I asked, I said to you, did you see the, the yeah, house number 1980? Yeah. yeah. So Dan arrives in Fraser, New Hampshire to start a new life. He meets and befriends a local man named Billy Freeman. He's awesome, Billy. Billy is, he's got a heart of gold. He is such a good guy. Yeah. Um, he also, um, he's actually um, from New Zealand. Um, oh, is he? Yep. He actually, he was actually one of the people that starred in Once We're Warriors. Um, he was in that? Yeah. He was, he was, he was, he was Tamea Morrison's um, friend. 
who that was ends up such a good movie. Yeah, he was really the guy confronting, but very good. Yeah, he was the guy in in the movie uh, Once Were Warriors. He was the guy that actually raped their um their daughter and got her to commit suicide. Wow. And then um, Tamaya Morrison ended up by beating the the living shit out of the uh, other guy. Okay, his name was Bully. Okay, again, yeah. not relevant. I know, I know. Um, and basically, he befriends him, and basically, and he vouches for for this guy. Now, you know, Billy doesn't know, um, you know, Dan from a bar, a bar of soap, but he actually is so nice. And of course, Dan says, you know, why is it that you actually befriended me, or you know, you're doing all these things for me? And he goes, I don't know. I just got this feeling about you that you're running away from something, and you need, you need to be running towards something. But he's just he's got that feeling. It almost got a sixth sense about him, which I think is amazing. Going back to um, Abra's birthday party for a quick second. Yeah. Um, Stephen King didn't actually intend for Abra's name to be to stem from Abracadabra. It was kind of a happy accident. Yeah, but I think it was actually quite good. Abra no, it was great, Abra. but he yeah. totally didn't see that coming. Yeah, I like the I like her name, you know, Abra. Um, so um, Billy ends up by finding a place for Dan to stay, and Billy vouches for him to the landlord. And I think that was and how much was it? Eighty was it like one hundred and eighty dollars a month that they was paying for a loft apartment? It was like eighty five dollars a week, which came out to like three hundred and sixty dollars a month. Yeah, it was a beautiful apartment. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So I, I would I wouldn't mind that as a little studio apartment. It was yeah, awesome. that was really nice. So in so that night, Rose brings Andy out to the beach for a ceremony and we are going to be introduced to the rest of the true noughts and basically lead them in a ceremony to um, bring Andy into the group. The elder true nought member, Grandpa Flick leads the ceremony and Rose pulls out a canister containing the shine of violet. Now this is really upsetting because when Rose pops the canister open, you can hear the scream of poor little violet. And so we are, we are, obviously understanding that she's been killed and her shine has and the only way that, that it can go into these canisters is that rose usually is the one that sucks up the the shine as it's coming out of a person and then blows it and in. then blows it into the canister yeah. um so basically it's it's the thing where um uh, that uh, andy actually has to you know absorb so once the shine is released um rose sucks some up and then blows it into andy's mouth basically she dies yeah. You know, she ends and up by. It's like a, va- a vampire. You die, you drink the blood of a vampire, you're reborn again as a vampire. Yeah. So basically, you're being turned yeah. into these these true noughts. Yeah. You know? Now, now, what's interesting is Rebecca Ferguson, who played uh, Rose the Hat, said in a 2019 interview that she that horror in general is not one of her favorite movie genres. She is a huge fan of the novels by Stephen King. She said, I don't see why we wouldn't want to make films out of everything he writes. It's just so adaptable. It's so understandable. It's relatable. And the imagery is like, you don't really have to make scene images anymore. You just have the book. You know, when you read it, it's like watching a movie. Yeah. I love books like that. Um, and then she also added that she doesn't like violence directed toward children in films, but she happily made an exception for this particular film. Yeah. And this is a very confronting movie when it comes to um, children. Yeah. It really is. Once Especially again, if you get to the baseball boy. Yeah. Once again, if you have a problem with that, if this is triggering to you as far as children and that sort of situation, please don't watch the movie. Um, and even this podcast might even set you off um, on that path of not wanting to listen to any more of the podcast because we are going to go in depth of one of the scenes um, and it's very confronting. So yeah. just as a trigger warning, if you got to this point in the, in the podcast and with us saying that this stuff is happening to, to children, 
please turn off the podcast and don't watch the movie and we'll just see you next week. Yeah. Because we certainly don't want to trigger anyone in in well, in, well, well uh, or we'll just say, hey, this is coming up. Just skip ahead of you know a couple minutes. Yeah, we can do that, but we just want everyone to know about that situation. Yeah. So of course, when Abra was sorry, when um Andy is turned into one of these true noughts, yeah, yeah, Rose feeds Violet's uh shine to Andy while the other true nought members get their share of it. Andy writhes and screams until she has absorbed the shine. Now, when she comes to, she basically is told by Rose, live long, eat well. And basically, what does she say? Uh, what is it? No, no, no. Here we go. Eat oh, that's well, right. Eat well, young, stay young, young and live, and live long. long. Yeah. And so it's basically, of course, she says to um, Andy's sister, Rose, am I dead? And she goes, do you care? Oh, no, she, no, she goes, am I human? And that's when she, am I still human? And she goes, do you care? So it's really, you can see that she's been turned. She's not a human anymore. She's now feeding on shine. She's now, and, and I think this is the whole thing with these, with this group is the true noughts basically are nomadic. They have to travel all over the place to fit, to feed to on these the people. And as, as Crow said, you know, cause he was tracking another person that we're going to get to, but he's saying that a lot of the shine that we've been taking lately Yes, it's shine, but it's not good shine. It's basically very, very low. And, and they also say that a lot of the children or a lot of the people, more so children that have this ability, the parents take them to psychiatrists and suddenly put them on Ritalin yeah. and put them on, on antidepressants and stuff like that, which reduces the amount of shine they've got. That's so pretty much why they um, stop shining as they get later. Now, as a completely unrelated trivia note in this yes. Yes. In the novel, Andy is Andy um, Rattlesnake. Andy is much older, and she and Rose are, become lovers. Really? Yeah. Wow. Even though, even though uh, Rose Crow, and Crow, Crow Daddy together. have that relationship as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm <laughs> okay. I don't know whether that would have, you know, but whatever. Yeah. So Dan has a nightmare. Uh, yeah, this is a very confronting scene coming uh -huh. up. So anyone that's once again triggered by children, please skip ahead because this is a confronting scene. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, when you when we get to, to the um, uh, the factory, I have a trivia about the sign. Okay. So Dan has a nightmare where he sees the spirit of a, a, a spirit sleeping next to him. Uh, this this is a confronting scene yes, where he he's laying there and he he wakes up and he sees a fly land on where one of where, those death flies we were talking yeah well about. death flies and he he basically feels and he can feel there's an arm over him and he lifts up the the covers and he can see that there's a leg there and it's at that moment that he moves off the bed and this hand grabs a hold of him and it's actually the woman that he had slept with is now dead. And she says to him, they, they still, still haven't, haven't found, found us. us. And as of that moment, you hear the cry and the baby has died as well. Yeah, and no, she just lifts up and the baby rolls the baby over, rolls over. With, those, with those foggy eyes. Yeah. And she says again, they still haven't found us. Yeah. And and basically the, the baby lets out a cry and Dan just jumps off the bed and suddenly there's there's nobody there. So he can see that this has actually happened. So he could, in essence, ring the authorities and say, you need to go and do a welfare check on these on these people. But it's very confronting that not only did yeah. she die, but the baby died of obviously yeah. starvation or something. Yeah. Very, very upsetting. Um, 
so basically, uh, Billy uh, basically helps uh, Dan to go to an AA meeting. And after the meeting, Dan is introduced to Dr. John Walton. This doesn't really go anywhere. Um, but, I, but Dan notices Dalton clutching his wrist and then approaches him by saying that he left his watch in a bathroom, which is something only Walton would have known. Astonished by Dan's insight and influenced by Billy's good word, Dalton gives Dan a, a job working at a hospice. He has had some experience as an orderly, which is actually really good to see. But the fact is that I, I love the fact that, um, you know, he says that, that uh, yeah, you were, you were cleaning your hand and you put your watch onto. Now, when I, when I said to you that when they go to the scene where Dan is being in, uh, interviewed by the job, mm -hmm. it is the same layout as at, the... At, okay, so Dr. John Dalton's room yeah. where Danny's interviewed for the orderly position yep. is identical to Stuart Ullman's office where Jack Torrance was interviewed for the caretaker job in The Shining, right down to the paint color and the little American flag on the right side of the desk. <laughs> I did see that. I was actually wondering this. Oh, that was actually yep. going to be yep. one of my yep. little fun facts when mm -hmm. you saw that as well. Yep. And the nameplate is exactly the same as um, yep. Mr. Ullman's yep. is there as well. So I found that very, very and, interesting. And I just want to say how happy I was to see Bruce Greenwood in this because I have loved him uh, ever since, especially in his role as um, Christopher Pike in the yeah. 20, 2009 reboot of the Star Trek film yeah, franchise. Yeah, Captain Pike, yeah. Yeah. He was he was very good in this one. Oh, I loved I I, it's, I it's, love him in everything I see him in. But it's such a shame that it was only a very very small part in this movie. Which yeah, but did, you know it was it was a nice little cameo, I guess. Well, you want a nice cameo, Danny Lloyd. Yeah, well, I didn't even this. see Danny Lloyd. Yeah, and this the whole thing I I didn't even know where the hell Danny Lloyd was. I think he was one of the spectators watching the. He was the guy sitting. Okay, so you uh, okay in the, in the scene that we're just about to get to, yeah, um, where the, where they're where they're watching um, the little the number nineteen play baseball, the two guys sitting in front of Crow Daddy are he's like, oh, keep an eye on nineteen, he's really good, and blah blah blah, and he's talking to his mate. You think the guy that, the that never said anything is Danny, is Danny Lloyd. Lloyd? Yeah, because because um, he Danny Lloyd did not act in anything since The Shining. Yeah, but when Mike Flanagan contacted him about this, he's like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." I just I just want to be part of it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, so he gave him really a non-speaking role. <laughs> That's good. Or or actually, I think he did say one little thing. Mm, okay, I didn't but even yeah. hear him. Yeah, or he may have even been the guy who said, um, "You know, watch this kid." Yeah, but yeah, so Danny Lloyd. No, so now we've got Dan and he's now working in a hospice. And during one night night shift, Danny is mopping the floor when he sees when he notices the hospital's uh, hospice's cat Azzy mm -hmm. go into a room of an elderly man. The man knows that whenever Azzy goes into someone's room and Somebody's sits on their bed, die. it's because Azzy knows that that person is going to die. Now, now before we move on from yeah. this section, I want to finish it, but I have a bunch of stuff to talk about the cat. Okay, do you want to do you want to speak no, about the cat the scene now? No, let's do the scene and then I'll talk. Okay, cool. Um, so the man appears frightened at first until Dan reassures him telepathically that dying is just like going to sleep. And comforted, the man nicknames Dan Doctor Sleep, sleep, which is because he says, "I'm not a doctor. Would you like me to get you something?" And he goes, "No, Doc. You're supposed to be exactly where you're supposed to be." And he just keeps telling him, "Doc." And then he says, yeah. "You know, I, I'm worried that." when I go, there's going to be nothing there. And he goes, it's just like going to sleep. You're basically just going to sleep. And then he, then he says, um, I can smell, was it blueberries? Yes. I can that my I grandmother can, used to grow. Yeah. I can smell blueberries. And he goes, yeah, I can smell blueberries too. 
Um, now, as you know, this is the, no, this is the second one because this guy basically says that he was afraid of going to see the blueberry person is the second person that, that dies when he goes in. He says, yeah, he, go, yeah, he goes, um, can you smell blueberries? He said, yeah, I can. It's this, and I can smell, I can smell the blueberries and I can hear the little transistor radio that used to be on your workbench where you used to have all your work tools. And that, that's the way that that scene was happening. But this one is that he was just comforting him when he was passing away. And within, okay. a, yeah. yeah. And within okay. that moment, the man dies and you can see the steam leave, leave him. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, when Dan, re Dan returns home, he finds the word hello written on his wall with a smiley face in the O. He simply writes back, hi. Yeah. What uh, do we have about Azzy? Oh, so Azzy. Yes. Got to go. Okay. Azzy the cat. Azzy the cat is based on Oscar, a tabby cat who resides at Steered House Nursing and Rehab Center in Rhode Island. Oscar appears able to predict the impending death of terminally ill patients. He will sit or, and, and cats are known for being able to see spirit and things that we can't perceive. Yeah. That is actually a common thing with cats. Uh, he will sit or sleep by their beds for a few hours before they die. Sort of like how our dog knows that I'm going to, that I've got a headache or something going on before I do. Yes. And he like won't let me out of his sight. Um, since the publication of an article featuring Oscar in a New England medical journal in 2007, Oscar has been present for over 100 patient deaths. In 2013, Oscar suffered an allergic reaction and died for a few seconds before he was revived by vets. In the film, Azzy is portrayed by Bonkers, a cat that belongs to the Newton brothers, the film's composers. Okay. Now, the name of a cat that enters the room that of the patients who are next to die in the hospice, Rivington House in the film, is called Azzy, which is short for Azrael, who is actually the angel of death. Oh. Yeah. Now, Mike Flanagan, the director, reportedly had a humorous nickname for the cat and usually referred to Azzy as asshole during production and bonkers the death cat in post-production. <laughs> And I like the fact that it's named Azriel because that is the name of the of Gargamel's cat in the Smurfs. Oh, that's right. It is, isn't it? Azriel, yeah. Which is interesting because, like I said, Azriel is the, is angel, the of death. angel of death. Angel of death. Archangel of death. And and that's and uh, all Gargamel wanted to do was wipe out all the Smurfs. Yeah. So, okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. So there we are. So eight years later, in present day 2019, Dan has remained sober for eight years, which is pretty pretty good. That's an accomplishment. It's a That's very a big accomplishment. accomplishment. Yeah. During a meeting, he discusses his feelings uh, with having never known his father and only feelings close to him when he drank, which uh, which yeah. is understandable. That's because... really all he remembers of his dad. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting, and, and I think I screwed this up a little bit earlier, but that's okay. I'm going to rectify the, the, the trivia. Okay. Like the character he portrays in the film, Ewan McGregor is in reality a recovering alcoholic. Really? There's a, wow. there's, a, there's a few superstars that are. Um, Anthony Hopkins and John Larroquette are two that spring to mind. Goodness um, me. Yeah, but Ewan McGregor is a recovering alcoholic. And this was one of the aspects that probably clinched him the role as one of the first things he said to director Mike Flanagan was that he was really interested in exploring sobriety and recovery. Yeah, because it really shows you, because you see the, you know, Denny's transition from being an, a, you know, obviously a drinker to being a non-drinker, just how well he looks at eight right. years. Well, that and so he had this moment. Actually, I think it was when he had the vision of the girl and the baby. Yes. Um, and, he very and, 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 and it just, and, and he was just like, 
I, I can't live like this anymore. And it was like two 30 in the morning. It was four o'clock in the morning. And no, it was four o'clock when they went on the road trip. Oh, but it was no. like two 30 in the yeah, morning. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Sorry. It was like two 30 in the morning and he goes down and he knocks on Billy's door and he said, you, when I first met you in the town square, you said, you know, my look, what did you mean by that? And he's, and, 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 you know, and he's like, you know, you look like you were had hit, running away or, from something the, the, or pretty much saying, you know, you look like you're hitting your bottom. Yeah. And, and Danny just looks at him and he's just like, I need help. Yeah. And, and this is, and, 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 and Billy is such a wonderful man that he sits there and goes, you know what? Screw sleep. I can help you. Yeah. And that's how he gets to AA. Yeah. So then we see eight years later and he's remained, you know, you know, alcohol free for eight years. But as he said, you know, the only way that he could ever feel close to his father is that, you know, with drinking and he yeah. only ever knew the, his father because he could smell the alcohol around the, the apartment. Yeah. Which exactly. is definitely understandable because Jack was a very big drinker. Yeah. Um, it made him realize that his father fought the same battle he did, but Dan has chosen to come out better. Well, and see, and that's the thing is when they went to the overlook, Jack, his father had been sober for five months. He was still sober for um, the first month that they were there. But as we discussed in The Shining, he was doing it for the wrong reasons. He was doing it because Wendy was hounding him to stop drinking and everything yeah. else. So he was in essence, a, a, a dr he was a drunk just without the alcohol. He was a dry drunk. Yeah. You so tell he, me about that one. You know, so he still wasn't in any kind of genuine recovery. Yeah. And he did not have any desire to genuinely change. Yeah. So it became, you know, but, but because, and, and, and Danny is showing that because he was committed to his recovery and he wanted to be a better man, it's making a huge difference. And he was talking about how, you know, he'd been coming up on this anniversary, thinking about how his father had stood in these same rooms and wanted to be there to, for his, for his, for his mom and for him, but it just didn't work. Yeah. And how he, how grateful he is to have achieved eight years. And I can certainly appreciate that because my father being an alcoholic, um, my mother once said, you know, God rest her soul, but she said that my father quit drinking for a year and it was the best year of her life Yeah, yeah. because she didn't have to worry. She didn't have to worry about going out that he was going to get drunk or that he was going to get belligerent or he's going to you know, create a yeah. drama. So he, she said that was the best year of, of, his, of her of life, their marriage. Of, of their marriage, you know? Yeah. And so I understand that, you know, I, I, I saw my father very many occasions drunk and not being able to communicate with him. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, okay, it's but, but a very big thing. Yeah. So the true, the true note hasn't, uh, hasn't had a good feed in a while, relying mostly on leftovers from kids with shines that aren't very powerful. Um, Dan also in, he also continues to work as an orderly and tends to patients that are about to die. Now, um, as we were saying that there was a, a gentleman that was, going to pass away as he was laying on his on his uh, bed and he says you know can you smell blueberries and dan goes yeah i can smell blueberries it's the same that your mother used to cook and that i can hear this the, the little transistor radio you used to have on your workbench yeah. um oh yeah yeah and you know when you were working then he passes away and then we then transition over to um it goes to another scene where Dan is just basically sitting on the desk and as he goes into a room and she, and he's like, no, no, you're, you're off your game on this one as he, there's nobody in that room. And he then 
opens up oh, the before yeah. he goes into the room, however. Oh yes, yes. Yes, I think actually I've is... got actually I've gone a little bit ahead of myself. Let's come back to that okay. one. Okay. Sorry, right. we've gone a little bit too far. Um, so we go back to the true noughts that they 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 haven't had a very good feed at all. And we find that Crow is tracking down a young boy, a baseball player named Bradley Trevor, mm-hmm. whose shine helps him out during games. And this is the scene that you were saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the guys that are watching, they're like, it's almost like he can read the pitcher's mind. He hits the ball every, every time. time. Yeah. And he does. Um, so the true Nort follows him home and Andy makes him get into their van. And it's really interesting because, you know, he the, the van pulls up and the guy goes, number 19. Yeah, you're really great out there. You know, do you want do you want to ride home? I can give you a lift. And he's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's pretty close. Then you see the door open up and there's Andy, who is the pusher that can make people do what they want. And she goes, you know, come on, sweetie, we're friends. And he goes, we're friends. And she goes, uh, that he goes, she says, uh, we, you know, we can, we can take you home. And he goes, oh, you can take me home. And of course, we now know that number 19, this boy Bradley, has now been abducted by the, the true nought. So yeah. they take him to a secluded area where they pin him down. Okay. Now what, that secluded area, I did yeah. have a um, trivia about that. Yeah. I'm just going to say before we get to this, this part uh-huh. um, that this there, is very confronting. This is a very confronting scene. So if you don't want to know about it, skip ahead five minutes. Yeah. So the company on the sign, Lamarck Industries, yeah. is a reference to the Dark Tower book series also by Stephen King. That corporation is owned by the by some of the villains of those stories. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And the actor who plays Diesel Doug, the guy in the dark sunglasses, yep. is James Flanagan, director Mike Flanagan. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Nothing like nothing like putting your brother into a, into a scene. That's, well, that's yeah, just, just ask um, Opie about that. Ron yeah. Howard. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, Ron Howard is always his brother his is brother. in everything he does. That's the only way that guy's actually maintain a solid career in Hollywood. Whenever Ron, well, no, I mean he, he he's good. Oh, whenever parents, Ron but... is is going to be doing a a, a a movie, I'm sure he gets a phone call. He's like, "Yes, honey, I'm working again." Oh, but going back to the cats really quickly, yeah. because of the eight year time jump, Azzy is actually played by two different cats, one young and one old, and apparently neither of them were very good at staying still. <laughs> There's a reason well, why they say it's it that when something is hard, that is like trying to herd cats. Yeah, well, that would definitely be. Yeah, I definitely agree on that one. Yeah. So we're going to go to a very confronting scene now. So they yeah. take this little boy to a secluded area. They pin him down and he's screaming out that he wants to go home. And uh, we see that Rose comes up upon him and she basically says that screaming purif- purifies the steam oh, even more. The, the, the part that really got me mm. was when the little boy looks at Bradley, I think his name was, looks at her and he says, are you going to hurt, hurt me? me? And she looks at him and she says, yes, very much. Yeah. And it was that just like, is so oh. confronting. Yeah. So they brutally murder him feasting on his dying screams. Um, yeah. And he is, you know, every time that she stabs him, he lets out some steam. So she starts off by um, cutting into his flesh on his ankle, and that he screams. He lets out. Then they basically, she basically works her way from the ankle all the way up his thigh to his stomach to the point where um, they are literally once he is completely, as they say, drained. 
drained she actually gets crow to hold the canister over and she actually pushes on his little body as the, as the steam keeps coming out and yeah. then she sucks that out and puts it into the, ca- the canister abra and then, sh- and then they shallow bury him they shall they yeah they it's it's so upsetting yeah. abra senses the murder and begins screaming in her home crying in a, to her parents that the boy who has been killed Rose is able to sense Abra's presence there as well, refers it, referring to her as a looker. Watch, yeah. At this time, Dan C has an explosion in his bedroom because on his wall, the previous tenant had not painted over, had basically had a it, wall it was, that you could um, actually chalk. Paint. It was chalkboard paint. Yeah, so you could write it. So writing backwards and forwards to Abra, hello, hi, whatever, um, there's an explosion and it basically blows Dan out of the bed and Dan looks in the mirror and sees in reverse Red, red rum. rum written on the wall Just and based- exactly the way that he wrote it on yeah. the bathroom door at the overlook hotel apartment yeah he then looks directly at the wall and it says murder this is when he gets up and he writes to abra who and then she writes back baseball boy. baseball boy well you know that's that's one interesting thing that i do have about that i have about that red rum thing yeah is when danny did that he was five yeah okay and just learning how to write yeah um the having it show up on the chalkboard exactly the same way that he wrote it at five years old when she is 13 she wouldn't be writing backward letters like that 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 i mean i get that you want to connect it back to the original shining yeah but it just that seemed off to me yeah that was one of the very small things i could say about this movie that's off um but then again she's trying to communicate with dan so i guess showing him what he wrote when he was five is yeah. the definite communication of this is just not yeah. anything. This is something real that's going on. Yeah. Which I think is a great hark back to The Shining. Yeah. Um, Abra does some research into Bradley's disappearance at school. She's able to hear the thoughts of her classmates. I love when she's looking at her classmates. And one kid is looking at me again. Yeah, but I, I love when what the one hell of the, are you looking at? But one of the kids is sitting there going, I got to study or I'm going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> and then, he, then she looks at another girl and the other girl's like, why doesn't he look at me? What's wrong with me? Is it my hair? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's just, it's so middle school. It really is. So she does all her research and finds out that, you know, this is this little boy, Bradley, has disappeared. When she gets home to her room, she has visions of the true noughts and their whereabouts. She looks outside her window and floats briefly as she is connected to Rose, who is at a supermarket. This is an awesome scene. Oh, now there's, a, okay, quick little fun fact before yeah. we get into the scene, because this is actually one of my favorite scenes that Rebecca Ferguson, Rose the Hat, made a specific shopping list for each member of the True Knot and hand-selected the items that are in the shopping cart herself. Oh, that's brilliant. I love those little little yeah, facts. That, that's method acting, man. Now, when we see that, that um, Abra comes into where Rose is at that moment shopping, we all, I, you almost get a sense that she becomes Rose because she's looking down yeah. at the shopping cart. She can see the, she, the list. She's inside she can see her hand. She's yeah, she's through her eyes. Yeah. It's only at that stage that um, Rose manages to see Abra. Um, basically, she comes up to, basically, Rose comes up to a refrigerator and sees Abra staring back, back completely in, back at her. Instead of her own reflection. Yeah. yeah. And she basically has the little thing that, Ro- that, that Rose always says, um, well, hello there. there. And, of course, this is when Rose puts her hand at her back of her head and basically you see Abra standing there and Rose's hand comes out from behind her to grab a hold of her. It's at this stage that uh, um, Abra screams 
for her to get out of her head, which causes a strong enough push to send Rose across the floor. Um, and then she basically then everything says, get away from me and pushes her further. And of course you can see that, that um, Rose, the hat's got a bloody nose and yeah. she is absolutely amazed by this power, but is also threatened by it. And Rose oh, brings much. this information back to Crow stating that her shine might be too powerful for the true naught. And of course this is when Crow says, so is she food or should, or do we turn her? Yeah. And Rose is like, we do not turn her because we don't powerful. want someone, we don't want a woman that powerful. And see, this is the first thing that I, I thought about is that Rose is the top dog in this, in this group. She's yeah, the one she that can astral travel. Powerful no, you know, she was able to, to, to uh, trans, you know, bring Andy, but Andy's only a pusher. She can't be threatened by Andy because Andy doesn't have any, any, any power over Rose. But when Crow says, do we turn her or is she food? And she says, we are not going to turn her. It's basically like, hey, I'm top dog in this in this group. You are not bringing someone more powerful than me because I'm scared shitless of this kid. So this is when it's like, okay. So they they figure that they must destroy her. So Dan and, uh, Dan and Abra eventually find each other. And it's basically because um, Abra is dropped off to school and then decides to wag it from school and go on a school bus to where Dan is um, working in the little um, uh, center part of town. And he's leaving to, I don't know what he was going to do. And he hears in, her, in his head, hi. And he, he turns around and we find that Abra is standing there. So now it's basically like she, she knows that she can communicate with, with Dan. Yeah. So they go and sit on a park bench and she says to Dan in through the shine, can you hear you? You know, you can hear me, can't you? And he's like, "Let's use our outside voices." Now, How's that? That was the same one that um, Danny and uh, Dick Halloran sat on earlier. Yes, that uh, no, Dan and Danny sat on the one near the beach. They're not near the beach. No, they're they're, in... there was a different time that they, when he uh, Dick Halloran came to him. No, never mind. Yeah, no, yeah, never mind. No, you're okay. Um, so basically, yeah, when they discussing, okay, yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. The bench that Dan and Abra sit on is the exact same bench that Halloran and young Danny sit on in the beginning of the film. So what they, uh, so what do they do? Ship it up there or is it just, I green? guess so. Okay. Um, so Dan basically says he calls it the shining or Tony since that he thought it was like having an imaginary friend. Abra through Dan uh, thought, thought Dan was his imag her imaginary friend. And she goes, but you're not, you're real, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I am real. And basically says, listen, you know, um, she tells him about the true noughts and he warns her against using her shine in any way that could attract their attention because he's like, you know, you've got this ability and they will find you. So basically shut up. Don't say anything. Don't bring them, don't bring them out into the open. Don't, don't provoke them. And yeah. she's like, yeah, but this is what happened. This little boy is being killed and I want to basically draw them out. And, she, and he's like, don't provoke these people. They are way more powerful than you are and they will feed on you and they want to try and, and find you. And so she's already got an idea that they are actually hunting for her right now. Now, so, before that, he's yeah. just like, you know, in this day and age, a man sitting here talking to a 13-year-old girl is not really a good idea. And she says, that's okay. I'll just say that you're my uncle. Uncle Dan. Because her <laughs> mother is, she, she is, um, her mother Which is white, her know. father is black. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, though, is that in the novel, it's revealed that Danny actually is Abra's uncle. Jack Torrance once had an affair with her grandmother. 
Yeah, that's 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 one of the rabbit holes that you dive down into and find seven hundred more yeah, rabbit holes. I know, but I just thought that was really yeah. That that, that is really good, is Uncle Dan. Yeah, but it's very very. There are so many little rabbit holes in both yeah. these movies, which I love because these movies really make you really think about the the movie itself, which is yeah. I, I love these things. So uh, at night while working, Dan follows Azzy into a bedroom where there was nobody supposed to be there, yeah. where he re-encounters Dick for the, sec- for the first time. Well, since actually, no, all he sees is a dark shadow. Is shade. a dark shadow. So he goes to open one of the boxes and, and Dick's you hear, like, whoa, whoa, doc. whoa, dark. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like oh dick dick how are you and he goes yeah and that's when he says oh have you seen anyone from the overlook and he goes oh not for a long time except for the guy that says lovely part here and he well, said he locked you know, his so ass in the was, box that was the last one but that was like you know years 10 ago. years ago and dick is like oh okay because i can't tell how long it's been because time runs differently where he is yeah and basically and- yeah, and he says to him, this is going to be the last time I come to talk to you. Yeah, but this is basically he warns Dan about the true noughts uh, and what they really do. And he also urges him to protect Abra since they share a connection. And Dick also lets Dan know that this will be the last time he sees him. But he also says before he goes that the true nought have discovered Abra. Yeah. They yeah. want her. She is because he said, you know, she is way more powerful than you are. And they, she burns a lot brighter than you do. So they really want her big time. So so basically, it's now up to Dan to then be basically Abra's protector and to help her through the situation that she's going to go through. Right. Well, what was interesting, too, is that when we see Abra's bedroom, above her bed, there's a balloon animal and a large letter A that are arranged to spell Ka, K-A. This is a reference to the Dark Tower book series in which Ka means fate or destiny. And when um, Dick was talking to young Danny down at the beach in Florida, yeah. he was saying how it's all Ka. Really? I didn't yeah. know that one. Yeah. Oh, you missed that one. I missed that one. Yeah. Hey, I got one that you didn't. Fantastic. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that one. Yeah. God. So that night, Rose meditates and manages to get into Abra's head while she's asleep. She finds what looks like filing cabinets and tries to dig through them. Now, but before yes. we get into that, though, okay. what, the, the way that she hones in on her is really interesting where she's like, she, first she's above the city, then we're kind of, all right, now we're in this part of town. And, then, and you just see her kind of coming in, in, down, 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 down. It's like astral projection, it's it astral is. traveling. And, and, then she's, and then she's on the floor or on the barefoot on the ground. And then she's standing in front of the house and then she jumps up and sideways and down through, you know, like through the window. But what did now, one of the things that I did notice is that they use a heartbeat sound yeah. during different parts of this film. And it is actually an homage back to the original Shining of 1980. Throughout Dr. Sleep, they use this heartbeat sound in moments of tension. And the tempo of the heartbeat is used to increase or decrease the tension in the film. So as she is coming closer and getting and more tuning into Abra and getting closer to her physical location, you hear that heartbeat escalate. It gets louder and faster. And that's the way that it was with young Denny when he would find when he when something would be coming closer to him, you'd hear the heartbeat speed up faster and faster. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's, but it, it's really obvious and I do like, in this movie. Yeah, and it, 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 it is very, very noticeable rather than very subtly in the original, yep. which I did like about this one. Um, so basically, Abra anticipates Rose would be coming back for her, so she traps her hand in a, in a drawer 
oh my god, this is the the pain this poor woman's oh. going through. It is. Although you know, I feel no sympathy for Rose. No, neither do I. I really don't. Because it's but, interesting because when she when she gets in there and she sees what she thinks is Abra laying in bed and she looks over and she sees the filing cabinets, Rose says to her, oh, little one, oh, you, you should, yeah, you, it's so cute. You should see mine. Mine's a cathedral. And what, and well, because Danny had told her they're going to be coming for you. So yeah. she, it turns out she set a trap for Rose. Yeah, which is really good how she did this. So she's over there and she's like, oh, what's in here? What's in here? What's going through these files? And then all of a sudden the spotlight comes down on her, which is which is almost like um, I'm trying to think of, of you it's know, like where, an alien abduction. Well, no, it's it's more like um, oh, I can visualize it, but I can't remember what it's from. But where they the 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 alien the evil alien steps into it and suddenly it's like a light cage goes oh, yeah. around it yeah i got you and they can't move outside of that circle yeah and that's what um, rose is trapped now yeah and, and and the drawer slams on her hand trapping her hand inside of it and while she's there stuck and trying literally pulling her hand out and pulling the skin off of the back of it is like yeah abra jumps into rose's into head. rose's mind and is trying to see what's in there and so rose finally gets her hand out she goes to try and walk away her feet are stuck to the floor so it's almost like pulling the skin off of the bottom of her feet each time she tries to move her foot she removes more skin because she's so locked down and then finally she breaks the thing and jumps back out and, and goes and goes and, and slams back into her body and rolls off the top of the trailer and slams on the ground yeah the, um, i mean you're just like it's, ow yeah because she reports to the others that abra had set a trap for her and it is now clear that she has to be killed Crow then informs Rose that Grandpa Flick is cycling, too weakened to keep going. He convulses until he decays, and the cult absorbs his steam, which I thought, I, I didn't think they were going to go and absorb his steam, but this yeah. is when when she basically says that, uh, you know, you fed on princes, you saw civilizations, you know, the birth of civilization. to the new world. Yeah, you, you sailed across to the new world. So he's been, he's the the oldest person in the in this thing but it's interesting when she when um going back a little bit when rose you know basically says that this trap happened uh crow says what what does she know and she goes i don't know don't what know. she know and, and she was in my head was, yeah so when she she says and you know un, until now i would have said that was impossible yeah and but because Everett is so powerful, powerful she could do and, this well when she first um when, when they were in the grocery store and she's like, she pushed me out as if I were nothing. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you can tell she's like, I've never met anyone as powerful as me. And she's more powerful than me. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And this is where, why we have to get rid of her because someone that powerful in the true North could take over the true North. Yeah. If she was going to be in that situation. So Abra makes contact with Dan again and asks for his help to find Bradley's body since she can't, she can locate the cult if she touches the baseball boy's glove. Right. Um, and it's because one of the guys was playing with it before they put him in the ground. Buried him. And Abra does say, listen, we need to do this because that way his mother and father can have closure. And bury which, him properly. And bury him properly, which I think is a beautiful gesture yeah, on, really on her behalf. That's that goes with everybody. Yeah. Anybody that has been missing has, you know, everyone deserves closure. Yeah. The family, the body, everyone. Now, so now now that being said, um 
Okay, they they didn't address this in the film because it's really irrelevant to the plot. Yeah. Um, but I want to know how you know. So did Danny and Billy after the scene that we talked about? Um, did they call the police and tell them where to find this body? And if so, how did they explain knowing about it? Um, I guess the only way that they could actually do it anonymously would be to ring the police department and say, I would suggest you go and look at this site and direct them to it and then hang up the yeah, phone yeah. so they can't be traced. Yeah, because it's just like you can't explain that away. No. You know, so because, you, and, you and do even that. if you did come across it by accident, what the hell were you doing out there? Exactly. So the only <laughs> way, know? yeah. So, the, so as I said, the only way that you could possibly get away with it would be like, uh, yes, hello, just want to let you know that you would be very wise to look at this location because there is something that you are definitely going to be interested in. Yeah. Bye. Hang up the phone. Yep, exactly. Because that's the only way you can From do it. From a pay phone where there's no um, no cameras, cameras and in the area. You can't be traced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, and I think that's the way they would probably do it. Yeah. So with Billy's help, Dan is guided by Abra to the site where the boy's body is buried. Dan and Billy dig the body up, horrified and physically repulsed at the discovery. Yeah. They take the glove back to Abra's house, but Dave has I learned say that that whole hunting story was way too long. Yeah, but they were trying to explain. I that... understand. Because when Dan says, do you smell that? More succinctly. Yeah. But when he says, can you smell that? And he goes, I haven't. Then Billy goes, I smelt this before and I've never hunted a day in my in my life since. Yeah. You because know, it, it the, the situation. Been, I, 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 I was hunting. I uh, wounded it. I found it three days later. It smelled just like this. I've never hunted again. End yeah. of story. It didn't yeah. have to be three and a half minutes. But I guess it was, it was, it was just establishing this part of the, the I story. I understand that, yeah. but in my opinion, that was one of the weakest directorial moments. It, they yeah. really should have edited that better. Yeah. After explaining everything to Dave, which is the, the father of Abra, and revealing their powers to him, Abra manages to track the cult and deduces their destination, that they are on their way. They're coming for Abra. Yeah, they are. So Dan and Billy go into the woods to bait the cult using Abra, who appears from her kitchen. And I thought this was really good. When you see Abra sitting um, on a picnic table yeah. and, you know, um, uh, Snakebite Ellie or yeah, Snake, uh, Snakebite Andy comes over and says, you know, you're very sleepy. And she goes and she starts to fall asleep and you can see that she's got a syringe behind her back and sticks it into Abra's neck. And then suddenly she basically giggles and then she looks and it's just a stuffed um, teddy bear. It's, it's a stuffed rab, rab, stuffed bunny sitting there. And this is when one of the guys yells out our oh, parlor tricks. And it's like, Oh, okay. But we know that we've, we've, we're baiting these guys, which is really awesome. Dan and Billy hide and begin shooting at the cult members. And Rose feels the pain of each of them are being killed off one by one. Yeah. Billy shoots. Now this is the, one of the oh, distressing this makes me scenes. So angry. I'm happy for you to take this one. Okay. So yeah, another confronting one. So they uh, wound Snakebite Andy. And sh as she's running back to their trailer, she makes it inside. They end up getting everybody else. So it's just Dan and Billy and Snakebite Andy. And she comes out and, and she has a, a gun and she manages to tell Danny that he's feeling sleepy and she's just about to blow his brains out when Abra screams in his mind, wake up. And he wakes up just in time. 
and Billy has now come back up behind Snakebite Andy and shoots her, gives, giving her a fatal shot, but she's not quite there yet. She's cycling and starting to go. And yeah. she looks at Billy and she's like, kill yourself! And just laughs because he ends up blowing his own brains out with shotgun. Yeah, that is so upsetting. And that broke my heart so much because he was such a good man. Yeah, he was really, he's a really great guy. And when Dan looks over and because everyone else is dead and everyone else is gone and Andy yeah. cycles and disappears and all you've left with is is poor old Billy laying there dead with a with a gunshot yeah. wound through and his then head. Like, Danny's like, wait a minute, there's one missing. Where's the crow? And then we cut back. No, no, that no, that was Abra. Abra comes out from behind one of the trees and says, uh, the there was one more. The crow. Where is the crow? Where's the crow? And, and then, then suddenly cuts to the house and you see him injecting the actual Abra in her home with um something some, to knock her out yeah yeah but we also see as he's being as he's carrying abra out her father he's killed her father's chest her father's being killed yeah which is so Another very sad moment very very sad moment on that one and it shows you just how ruthless the and and un, unfeeling and psychotic these people are yeah so dan returns home and is able to link his mind to abra and briefly possesses her so it's interesting because she starts to come come to and and the crow's like you know um i had to dose you uh, again because you're very very powerful um but you know you, and don't worry she, you can't contact anybody because it's going to be a while before that shine comes back online yeah because she says you know dan and, and of course this is when the crow goes don't even think about it you are not that powerful you can't connect with him and it's of course at this stage when Dan ends up by being able to connect with um uh with well, uh, well, Abra well, and well, says, Oh, have they have they dosed you with something? Hold hold on before yeah. that. He he's he has gone back to Abra's house and he That's sees right. that she's gone. She sees that her father is dead and he's feeling the guilt of, of having brought that into the house. Yeah. He sees the bottle of whiskey. That's right, yeah. It's half drunk by her father and grabs that and and takes it back up to his apartment. He walks in, you can tell he's deeply grieving, he's frustrated, he's scared. He doesn't have anybody left anymore. Dick's not there, Billy's not there. He's all by himself and he goes to take a drink and he decides against it. Then he goes to do it again. And then he throws the bottle and smashes it and takes away all chance of that. He's like, no, I'm not going to turn into my father. I've got to find Abra. And, and, or no, and he sits there and he's like, help me, Tony, help me. And then he goes to write on the chalkboard and he's like, no, I can do this. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And he sits down and he projects himself to where Abra is. And they have a, con a, a little conversation. He's like, did they dose you with something? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, okay. Um, I'm going to try something. I want to try something. And he takes over Abra. And he sits up. <laughs> I love this conversation that he says to the crow. And and Danbra sits up. Dabra sits De up. Debra sits up. <laughs> Dabra sits up. And the crow's like, oh, you're awake again. I'll have to dose you again at the next rest stop. And and what did Danny say to him? Oh, I haven't felt this hungover oh, in I years. Oh, I feel hungover. I haven't felt this hungover in years. <laughs> and he goes, oh. Oh, who might who, you be? <laughs> who, who are you, friend? And he goes, I'm the guy that killed all your friends. Yeah. Which and, I have to admit, I love that line. And they were talking backwards and forwards, and this is when he says to the crow, "You know, you've you've you're very um, you've made this really easy. You've made it very very easy on on me, and you know you you're so. What does he say? You've you got. <clears throat> pardon me, I've got that croak in my throat. 
he basically says, you've made this so easy. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And he says, you, you're not wearing your seatbelt. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's Sorry. when yeah. he does a giant push. And he turns and, the, and he the vehicle. And he turns the wheel and, sh- and he runs it right straight into a tree. <laughs> and he's so, ejected through the windshield. And, yeah, so, so uh, Crow Daddy goes flying through the windshield and is starting to cycle and it's taking a couple minutes for him to die. And Abra get, uh, gets, I don't know if it's Abra's alone at this point or if Danny's still there, but she walks over and looks at him. And she says, I really hope that hurts. Oh yeah, no, that was yeah. Abra gets out of the van and, and walks like, over to him. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I. But yeah, I love it the fact that when when he's when he does say that you've made it very easy, it's basically it's almost like he said you're very cocky about this because yeah. only you would be so cocky that you wouldn't wear your seatbelt. Seat and I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, there there was one moment um, when Grandpa Frick was dying that. Um, snakebite andy went to rose and she says i thought you said we were immortal and she says no i never promised you that love yeah i told you eat well eat well stay young young live long long yeah but i love the fact that now because now all it was that that dan you know projected himself into abra now abra's by herself so now she's walking along a country road and we suddenly see rose standing in front of her and says, what have you done, you bitch? And, basically, and Abra basically looks at her and goes, I was the one that killed Crow. And walks basically straight Get through thriller. Rose. And Rose, immediately you see Rose wake up or, or open her eyes and yeah. she goes, she has to die. That's it. Yep. So Dan drives up and locates Abra. They drive off to make their last stand in the now rundown and condemned Overlook Hotel. Now I love this fact because they go up through the they, they actually she makes a phone call to her mother, and because uh, the police are there, they've discovered the body of her father, and she said, and the mother says, "You you okay?" And she's like, "I love you, love you I'm fine," and, and drops she, the phone out the turn, window. No, she turns to Dan before she calls her mom, and she says, "When this is over, you'll call my mother and tell her that we're that I I'm am okay, we're okay." And she's like, "Yes, absolutely." And then he th- and then she, then she, she throws calls it. the mom and, and says, I love you, and throws the phone out the window. That's actually one of the goofs on the film. Yeah. Is that when she throws it out the, the car, it sounds like it just dropped onto the floor next to her as opposed to bouncing down the road. Mm, yeah, well, I guess it's hard to do that on a sound stage to make it sound look, you know, it sounds yeah, I know, you know, but it's not like you couldn't take a car out in an old cell phone that you don't need <laughs> anyway and just drop it out the window and record yeah. it. Yeah, okay, I guess. But now we've got the vision of them driving up the sidewinder all the way to the Overlook Hotel. Yep. And Dan gets out of the car with Abra and says, listen, I want you to, and he says to Abra, I want you to stay in the car. I don't want you being in this building for any more time than you have to be. Yeah. And he said, and the only way in and out of this area is you can see down the road, the sidewinder. So you'll be able to see her coming, see and Rose coming, and you'll see the, 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 the headlights. Yeah. And she goes, what are you going to do? And he goes, I'm going to wake it up. up. And you see that Dan goes into the Overlook Hotel. He walks through the building um, where his lifelong trauma was born. Um, and he goes down into the First boiler thing room. he does is go to the boilers. Yeah. But as he on. walks in, the lights start to flicker on. So you can see that the hotel is aware that he's arrived. Yeah. And he goes down in the boiler room and he turns all the, the power on. But he's actually overloading the system. And we'll find out why he does yeah, this. We'll do that in a couple of minutes. Yeah. yeah. So he finds room 237 still with the X markings left by Jack. 
which is not in not at all. No, he not never. No, it was never right. room two thirty seven. No. no, he basically it, it walks the, around. He goes to the apartment. Yeah, and he sees the, the 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 apartment door where the first axe went through, and then he goes in and he finds the red rum written on the door and the slice through the door. And we actually get to see a little flashback of that scene where Wendy's in the bathroom, but of course it's a different. Yeah, but I love um, the fact actress. that they re-recorded that with the new actor, so there was that consistency. Yeah, I did like that. But one. they also, um, by the time Jack stuck his head through that door, there were there was more than just that one pane bit missing, so they yeah. didn't match up the door. Yeah, but at least it still had the red rum on it, which when they kept replacing the door because Jack Nicholson was actually um, a firefighter at one point. So he knew how to take down a door and they had they went through a ton of doors before they finally got that take. Yeah. And they they kept forgetting on the subsequent doors to put the red rum on it. Yeah, that that was a that was a glaring mistake. Yeah, that was a mistake on the original, but they had it in this one, which I thought was nice. Although the one mistake that was here that what that that they didn't think about is that the bathroom window that Danny crawled out of would have still been open. Yeah, but this was closed. Yeah, which is interesting. Unless unless what they did is they the people that were condemning the place walked around and shut all the windows. But that would yeah, be one yeah, hell of a, you know, and th- and they might have done that. That, that is possible because that I mean, is they possible. Did close the door on the way out. So Dan walks around the uh, hotel and goes into the gold room now, where now, we meet bartender Lloyd. Hold up, before we do that, didn't he yes. walk through the Colorado lounge? He walked through the Colorado lounge towards. And we saw um, Jack's typewriter in the stack of his yep. book and everything there. Um, did you know that the Colorado lounge was set on the exact same stage that housed the exterior for the Overlook facade? No, I didn't. Yeah, but it was so they did a, a such a great job of recreating The Shining. It was amazing. Yeah, they re- they, they really on this did. one, they and a hundred percent, hundred out of a hundred. So we find that Dan arrives at the um, the gold room and he sits in on the uh, at the bar, and Lloyd, the bartender, who who bears a striking resemblance to Jack, yeah. although he insists he's just Lloyd. Ben recounts how Wendy died when he was 20 and how he knew she was dying due to the flies that he could see around her and anyone who was close to death. And it it broke his heart because he couldn't look at her for all. Apparently she died of cancer Mm. and it, which isn't surprising considering the stress in that woman's life. Yeah. Um, But he couldn't look at her because of all the flies. And she knew that and she never understood or knew why it was he couldn't look at her as she was dying. Yeah, because he said he could barely see her. Yeah. And it just it broke his heart that she didn't know how much he loved her, basically. Yeah. I can't believe Lloyd was Henry Thomas. That was amazing. I know. Um, The the one thing I I will say is the, the, the very final shot of the original Shining was the photograph from the July 4th ball, 1921. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson was down front and center of this image. I would have loved for Danny to have seen that as that he was walking really good. in and happened to catch sight of it. But that. you did say that there was a possibility that they couldn't get the rights from um, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson to use yeah. the, his likeness again. Yeah, which, which is entirely possible. Yeah. But, I mean, but how cool would that have been? That would have been, that would have been good. That would yeah. have really been good. Yeah. Um, so Lloyd then drops the facade and channels Jack before downing the drink he offered to Dan. Because he gave Dan, uh, gave Dan a drink and he and Dan looks at the drink and he goes, "A man takes a drink, the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes the man." Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that is a completely plausible yeah, thing it, yeah. when it comes to alcoholics, alcoholics. you know. Yeah. Um, so he's sitting there and he hears Abra saying, "She's here." So Ron- well, well, no, but before that though. Yeah. Um, he's basically getting into an argument with Lloyd, Lloyd the bartender. I was saying about your, saying, your wife. Um, 
you know, well, don't you want to hear this? And he's like, I'm not your father. I'm, I'm just Lloyd. Lloyd. But then at one point he says, now, are you going to take your medicine? Which is a phrase that was often repeated when Jack Torrance threatens Danny in the novel. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's, it's one of those little, little things. If you didn't read the, the book, it wouldn't have mattered, but it's yeah. just one of the things that he says. So Rose soon arrives and Dan and Abra team up to trap Rose in the icy hedge maids. Abra manages to wound Rose by cutting her legs. And I find it interesting that, you know, Rose walks in and there's Dan and there's Abra and they're standing on the, the steps where, where Jack had been knocked down the stairs. And where, where Shelly Duvall was swinging the baseball bat. Yeah. And Dan says, you know, when this starts, run. And then, of course, Rose goes, yes, dear, run, and I'll find you. And then she, he, she basically works out that, oh, Dan's got the shine too. And, and Rose is like, how did we miss you? <laughs> we should have met years ago. And we find that she, he is he's basically very, very powerful, just like Abra. And at, at that stage then, we see that Rose has been put into the, the hedge maze and Abra is running forwards and back because yeah, basically Dan is now trapping her into the hedge maze. And, and slicing her each time she walks past so that yeah. she's pain, in pain. Yeah, cutting her legs. But Rose overpowers them and breaks free. Abra runs while Dan faces Rose, which is the same yeah, scene in reverse. When, and that's when Rose realized that it was Dan's mind that she was in because it showed the, um, the, the hedge maze and the and boxes. There was one that was just about to get her when she broke out. That's right. Yeah. Cause you can see the, cause she, cause she says to Abra, this is not your mind at all. Whose mind am I in? And we find out that it is actually Dan's, Danny's. but we could see that there was the box coming up. It's like, okay. Um, she gets into his mind and sees all the fear and the trauma that he endured at the hotel, which allows her to start absorbing his shine. Rose then sees the boxes of the overlooked spirits and thinks that they are they contain more power, but Dan in, instead unleashes them against Rose. Right. The great the Grady twins, bathtub lady, which is basically the witch, and other spirits surround Rose and consume her shine, destroying her for good. Yep. But they soon turn their attention to Dan and possess him. This is what I was saying that they, they, yeah, Dan couldn't put him back in the box that quickly. So they possessed him immediately. Yeah. Because they immediately grabbed a hold of him. Um, so they, he finds Abra, but she is, she's able to be, uh, she, she basically runs away and she actually goes into room 237. I remember saying to you, that is not the room you're supposed to go into. Room 237 is not a safe room. Yeah, but she goes it. in and she sees that there is the witch coming out of the bathtub again. And it's like, God sakes, this woman. So then we see that um, Dan comes into the room and he is now possessed with, a, a, I don't know whether it was just a spirit or whether it was Jack, but it was possessed by, he was possessed by someone. Yeah. And he but goes. He, but he did look a, a bit like um, his dad. So we will go yeah. with, it was the, the hotel giving him the vision of his father because he's coming after him with the same limp and everything like his dad did. Yeah. Put the microphone a little bit closer to you because oh, you're a bit too far away. Sorry. Um, so then we see that uh, he goes to, because he's got the axe, he goes to axe Abra in the head. And of course he stops. But before that, she says, you know, you're not Dan. I don't know who you are. Uh, but Dan made a stop before the, before he, he got to this point he made a stop at the boiler room and you could see the, the, whatever the spirit goes, Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is when Abra. And, and for just a moment, Danny regains control of his body and everything. 
and and you can tell because of the the cloudy eye disappears yeah, disappears on one side of his face and he talks to abra and he's like okay you need to get out of here and she's like i'm not leaving without you and he's like i will be right behind you but somebody has to close the door the behind door. us yeah and she's like okay and he's like just go out front and of course we're sitting here thinking well if anything happens to him how's she going to get out of her she's 13 she can't drive a car yeah, but a lot of 13s can do strange things and drive on, on snow covered roads on the mountain at night. But we realize in the next scene what actually happens and yeah. how she'd get yeah. down from the mountain. But 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 he convinces her to go and then the hotel takes over again. So she runs and he starts to follow. Yeah, and he's running through the hotel. And of course, then he And of course he goes down back down to the yeah. boiler room. So he basically gets down to the boiler room. He's standing in the boiler room trying to figure out um uh, what what do I do? And then of course we see that the boiler room overheats, starts exploding. There's fire everywhere, and the overlook finally goes up in flames okay. while Abra's watching outside. Yes. But we see that when Dan is standing there, it goes. And he's, yeah, we go back into the boiler room, and it becomes young Danny standing in front of his mother. Yeah, his mum. And the flames get more and more intense. And this is when Abra's saying, "Come on, Dan. Come on, Dan. Get come out. Come out. Come out." And of and course, we, could, we all wanted him to come back out. We did. We see from the sidewinder, we see a whole lot of fire trucks coming up there. So now so, we know how she gets home. Yeah. So basically, Abra's, then we see in the next scene, Abra's sitting on her bed saying the the hotel went up, it purified everything. And we've realized sometime later that Abra continues to communicate with Dan's spirit. And Dan's like, I'm so sorry to put you through that, but someone had to stay behind and I needed to do that to close the door. When her mother asks about it, she first denies anything, saying that, oh, I wasn't talking to anyone. And then she goes, actually, I was talking to Dan as well as I was talking to her dad, my dad, yeah. and that we don't, we don't stop. We continue no. on. We don't. And dad's okay. And Dan's okay. I promise. So Lucy appears to be okay with Abra's powers. And before they go to watch TV together, Abra starts to, you can see Abra smelling something and she turns to the bathroom. And as she turns to the bathroom, you see the, old the bathroom, uh, the bathroom shower curtain. shower curtain pulls back. There's the bathtub lady waiting for her, but Abra is already one step ahead of her, and she walks in. She closes the door behind her, just like you know, Danny did. Like Danny when did went, when when um, uh, he told them how to uh, learn use the boxes. Yep, and so that you is you know, the... Dan's taught her how to do that. Yeah, and that is the end of the movie. Okay, can I do a couple of quick fun facts? You can certainly do a couple up? of yeah, you can do a couple of fun facts before we wrap up this podcast. Okay. So Ewan McGregor, who played Danny, yep. is roughly the same age, less than two years older than Danny Lloyd, who played the Danny Torrance in the original Shining in 1980. Yep. He's also five years older than Jack Nicholson was when they made the original film. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's saying something. Now, Ewan McGregor admitted he doesn't really like horror, so he never watched The Shining until well, he started okay. acting and then felt he could no longer ignore its classic status. It is one of those things where you cannot ignore The Shining. You can't yeah. live your uh, life without seeing it. Well, I did until I met you. Ah, but it, it came around. It did. It, it did. got there. And now, and now I've seen it, what, three times? Oh, more than that. Five, five, seven times? No, not that many. Oh, come on. We've I've seen it quite three, a lot. Maybe four times. Okay, I'm gonna um, go five. Now, now, final bit of trivia, <laughs> and I absolutely love this one. Yes. Dan Stevens, who is uh, probably best known as Matthew Crawley in Downton Abbey and the Beast in the live-action Beauty and the Beast, mm -hmm. with with um the with the gal who played Hermione Granger. Yeah. 
Uh, Chris Evans, uh, Captain America. Captain America, yep. Matt Smith, uh, Doctor Who. Doctor Who, yeah. And Jeremy Renner, Hawkeye of the Avengers. Yep. were also considered and met with the director for the for the, the role of Danny Torrance. Oh my god. Yeah, they would have been not too bad. I I Matt would say Smith, I, I Matt I Smith would is say, a brilliant actor but I cannot see him in that role. Can't say I'd see Hawkeye in there either. Um I could see Jeremy Renner a lot sooner than I could Matt Smith. You couldn't see Chris Evans? I don't think I could see Chris Evans and I don't really know Matt, uh, Dan Stevens well enough. Hmm. Um I think Chris I, Evans would have been would have been okay with it. Yeah, but I Chris, can't see Chris Hawkeye. Evans, maybe Jeremy Renner, I could definitely see, but definitely not Matt Smith. So mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor was obviously the one who ended up being cast, and yeah. he had Stephen King's blessing for the role. That's awesome because yeah, Stephen King did not like, as we know, The Shining. Yeah. So in a zero to five movie reels, zero, zero being how the hell do I get the last two hours of my life back to five? It was a perfect movie, and I'd watch it all over again. Which one would we give it? I don't I'd say maybe four point two five. <laughs> why do you always go 4.25 well no, i don't but i'm like okay it's it's, it's i'm a giving good, it a it's, solid it's, four out of it, five it's a solid four but it's actually slightly better than that but it's not quite a 4.5 mm, i'm giving it a four a four okay. out of five i, really, I think that's but i really good. liked it i did i really liked this movie and i and i'm thoroughly glad that we actually got a chance to do this one yeah. um because as i said i avoided this one like the plague I don't know why I avoided it, but I avoided it because I just thought it was just not going to be any good. But I am so glad that I was proven wrong. And that's this is it's the testament to a, a very good movie that you can you know, have someone sitting there going, I would never want to watch it. But then they come around to it and go, you know what? I was glad I watched it. So yeah, I, it's like I wasn't I, I wasn't it. sure I was really into it. And then you showed me the trailer and I'm like, that actually looks like it could be interesting. Yeah. And I wasn't sure about this whole true not thing because I'm like, I, I don't really quite understand it. But once you saw how they fit into the world, it's like, oh, that actually makes total sense. I think that was the reason that I actually was against it to begin with is because it was trying to recapture, obviously, The Shining. But it was also when I saw the true noughts, I'm like, that's they're like vampires. And I just that's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, you but know, what really are you doing? They made it work. But they did. So I, I'm there. I'm very, very glad that, that uh, I got to see this movie. And yeah, I'm glad too. that we actually ended up by doing it for the podcast. Too. So in mm-hmm. saying that, we've got nothing else to say except to finish off this podcast. <laughs> like all this, right. you've, done so, a, you've done all your fun facts and we've done everything else. So we're yep. pretty much done. So. Save me a seat and some popcorn and we'll see you at the movies. Hi, my name's Greg. Like me so far? No. Hi, my name's Greg.